This episode of Talk of the Devils is sponsored once more by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit 1 million orders phase. Yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling ETH style turtleneck sweaters or blueprints for brand new stadiums, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to Talk of the Devils, you can sign up for our $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash reddevils, all in lowercase, without any spaces. So go to shopify.com slash reddevils to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, that's shopify.com slash reddevils. The Athletic. This last month, I thought on Wednesday night at Sellers Park. He was the only one who showed up, and today, a big moment for him. Hello, listener. We told you we'd be back after Manchester United beat Man City in the derby. And look, look where we are. Back. With big smiles on our faces. So, let's get straight into things. Welcome back to Talk of the Devils. It's the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. With me, as ever, are two of the smartest Manchester United people on the planet Earth. Laurie Whitwell, my fellow United Beat reporter. Laurie, you were covering today's game. How much fun was that? It was really enjoyable, I think, uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, the way that United approached the game from the very first minute in an attacking sense, um, you know, winning the ball back high up in City's territory. Uh, and then, listen, some of the passing in the first half perhaps wasn't the best. The counter-attacking opportunities slipped away. But second half was a really positive performance, um, aggressive, uh, lots of opportunities. Um, yeah, just lots of good performances all over the pitch. Not least from Anthony Marshall, who we haven't always said positive things about. So it was nice to see him put in a real shift um, and a real presence about him up front. It was a uh, difficult first half. I did a lot of clapping sounds and a lot of weird swear words. And the second half, I did a lot of the, um, you know, that hand gesture Bruno Fernandes did after he scored against Newcastle, where he's like trying to rev up a lawnmower. I did a lot of that. Also with me today on this podcast, uh, he wasn't too happy after the draw against Crystal Palace. We talked to him loads and we tried our best to cheer him up and we tried to tell him that United were going to win the derby. He is the editor of United We Stand. He's a contributing writer to the Athletic. He's done some really good articles about Bruno Fernandes recently and how he hasn't really heard his song. He's my mate. It's Andy Mitten. Andy, how are you? Buzzing, Carl. And you said you were nervous in the first half. Well, the first 34 seconds looked fine to me when we got that, that early penalty. Completely unexpected. Um, a big surprise. I know it's the third consecutive win away at Manchester City. But United have not been playing well. I put that to Ollie before the game and he disputed it. said he didn't see a dip. A dip and I, I thought there has been a dip. So whether he's saying that there's not been a dip in performances as opposed to result is a, is a mute point. But I think that was a, the best win of the season for Manchester United. Um, a, it's three points and that was needed. Um, to beat Manchester City, I, I can't see United catching City at all. But to play so well, and Laurie mentioned, and you mentioned Anthony Martial, 
to see players like him come good to show that they've still got it because he's had a lot of criticism and a lot of the constructive criticism has been fair. He's not scored enough goals. Luke Shaw is just getting better and better. But to go to City and play like that, and there are times when United, it wasn't just about the counter. United mm. were completely dominant. And in the second half, I thought City just going to come out and push United back and back. But no, didn't didn't go to plan. So you've got Pep Guardiola, probably, possibly the best coach in the world. And he's been beaten in three consecutive home games against a coach who some people unfairly deride as a Norwegian PE teacher. Go and work that one out. Here's a stat for you. Fred has never played in a loss at the Etihad Stadium, including his time at Shakhtar Donetsk. Who'd have thunk it? Right, before we get into things, listener, remember you can subscribe to The Athletic for the special price of $3.99 a month for the next six months. That's 40% off the price of a full subscription. You can enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. To take advantage, all you have to do is go to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod. Let's get into this. Manchester City nil. Manchester United too. Murray, you Manchester United want to goal up in two minutes thanks to a penalty earned by Anthony Martial. There's been a lot said about Martial in the last three or four months. How was he on Sunday? He was everything you want a centre forward to be. And, the, you know, when he, when he plays like that, you sort of think, well, do United really need a centre forward? Um, which uh, Solskjaer will probably not thank me for because centre forward is a position that they want to strengthen and, um, Clearly, Edinson Varney being injured again sort of is just a sign of his age, you know, a sign of the fact that United can't rely on him to be fit all the time. So, Anthony Marshall steps up. Um, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said he wasn't even, you know, fully sure he was going to play um, in the game. He, he needed the warm up to make sure that he actually was fit enough. He came through that and then putting a, a shift that you hope from him. You know, he's shown this kind of stuff before at City, it has to be said, you know, away at the Etihad last season, it was a similar kind of performance where he dropped deep back to goal was that essential link to make sure that United could defend well, but then when they got the ball break and, and you know, be the conduit from defence to attack. He did that numerous times. It obviously should have scored, you know, his chance when he's one-on-one with Edison, he gets a good connection, but he's got to place that better. It's a good save from Edison, but, you know, from that position, should be scoring. But I still think that overall it was a, a magnificent performance from him. And I suppose you just you just want to see that week in, week out, really. I know it can't be the case every time. You know, I know defences will play differently against him. Maybe Man City suit the way that he plays, you know, has a bit more space, has a bit more ability to do those kind of counter punches. But yeah, I thought he was really, really good. And it's pleasing to say that because obviously we've had, you know, been critical of him at various points this season. And it was this as simple as go goal up really early on and then just counter-attack the rest of the game? I don't think anything's simple against Manchester City, but Pep Guardiola admitted after the game, when you can see the goal that early on, it, it, it's difficult. And there was an inevitability where City were going to slowly get into the game. And they did that after 10 or 12 minutes when they started becoming the dominant team, creating lots of chances. And they didn't, they, I don't think they, um, they might point to luck, but Guardiola said he was really happy with how his team played. I spoke to some blue members of my family and they they didn't share that opinion. They didn't think that City played well. I thought it was a really entertaining game of football. We've not been able to say that a lot lately. We've been we've all been frustrated, haven't we, watching the games at West Brom and especially Palace uh, the other night. It was just really dull. And I think fundamentally, football's got to entertain you. You know every game's not going to be like today was. It's not going to give you the high 
uh, like today did in, in the Manchester derby. But tactically, I think Oli got it spot on. And I spoke to someone last week who, who works with him. He just said, I've worked with some of the best managers in football and he is as good as them. I know he's not got the trophies that they've got, but his attention to detail, his awareness of tactics is, is really impressed by him. And sometimes a narrative is created because he hasn't won trophies in a major league, that he's somehow this novice when he's actually been coaching for, for 12 years. And I do get frustrated, like all United fans do, when you get these these inconsistencies because they're not just freak results. They go on those really good runs and then drop off for six or seven matches. That's what frustrates me. I can handle losing against Sheffield United at, at home, but it's when you have a, a continued run of that. And I think tactically, he, he got it right. And I think going back to when we spoke after the the nil-nil at Old Trafford, which Laurie got really excited about, and I... I and I think with actually good reason, because he pointed out, quite rightly, United had more possession in that game than just about any team have against Manchester City. And what I think we're seeing today is a more emboldened, more confident Manchester United who are prepared to go at City, um, not just to try and counter them. I know United are still deadly on the counter-attack, and it did have to click into place. You needed Martial to have a good game. It was a bonus that Luke Shaw was brilliant, and it did come together, throwing a bit of luck. That was a cracking performance by United. Really was. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Goals from Bruno Fernandes and Luke Shaw. Shaw in superb form. I looked at the numbers. Uh, Luke Shaw's had 37 shots on target and only two goals. So uh, if there was only a good time to score, it was today. Uh, Laurie, I want to get your thoughts. Who else gets your plaudits? in this Derby performance? I think you have to mention Dean Henderson just because he comes into the team in a big game, a real game of, of consequence. I know he played against City in the Carabao Cup, but this felt a more, you know, a, a genuine shot at, okay, let's see what you're really made of here. And I know that he wasn't bombarded with shots, but I think he also played a part in that because his presence made sure that United could actually, at times in the first half, play a really high line. I mean, if you look back at that, at the first goal, City's throwing. Harry Maguire is so far into City territory to pressure, I think it's Gabriel Jesus originally. And that's why Jesus then chases back because he's kind of being harried into that position. But Maguire and Lindelof, who both had excellent games, I have to say, it felt like they had the confidence for that from Henderson, who came out and 
took crosses, um, you know, pulled off the saves that he needed to, to make. You know, listen, didn't didn't win everything in the air, you know, in, in terms of crosses, but then you've got Maguire behind him to, to clear it. And obviously his throw out to Luke Shaw. I mean, somebody texted me just saying it's Schmeichel-esque and that was what I felt. I'm always a bit reticent to say something like that because it's an easy thing. You know, he's like Schmeichel, he speaks like Schmeichel. I, I, some, one fan pulled me up on suggesting that he sort of followed in the airwaves with Schmeichel by his uh, vociferous barks that he gives to the defenders <laughs> and, and, and opponents. Fair enough. But that throw just reminded me so much of what Schmeichel used to do. You know, massive throw out to the wing. And obviously Luke Shaw takes it brilliantly. Cancelo dives in and it's a, it's a really good opportunity, you know, from, from the get-go. Nice interchange from Rashford and, and Shaw. But I just thought that he, yeah, he really stood out and just basically did everything that you need to do in, in a game against City. And then beyond him, yeah, Maguire and Lindelof. Lindelof always seems to step up against City, particularly at the Etihad. And Maguire, I just thought he did a few things that just showed, I mean, we do forget that Man City tried to sign him. You know, Pep, you know, put a bid in for him basically um, when he was at Leicester. City didn't want to go to the price that United were willing to go to and I think Maguire was more enticed by the opportunity to be captain at United and, and be a part of something rebuilding. But Essentially, he does have certain skills that Pep Guardiola would appreciate, such as there was a moment, I think, in the second half early on where he could have passed it back to Henderson. He's under pressure by the touchline. And he said he turns right and gives it to Luke Shaw and wins a foul, essentially. But it just alleviated pressure that, that might have you know, come from a defender who was not as confident on the ball. And it's a really sharp turn. Those three as the base, you know, Maguire, Lindelof and Henderson, I think really did set United up for the kind of performance that they put in. Who did you think? I think Aaron Wan-Bissaka had another great game against Raheem Sterling. They've got a very interesting rivalry there, but there is just something about the way Sterling tries to attack Wan-Bissaka that Wan-Bissaka's like, oh, okay, you want you want to be a good old-fashioned winger, I'll be a good old-fashioned fullback and we can do this one-on-one over and over and over again. Uh, Andy, who's your hero for the game? Luke Shaw, and he's the one who I just asked Ollie about uh, after the game. Uh, I pointed out and we discussed this a few times on the pod. Remember Everton away? United were really under pressure after that horrific defeat in Istanbul. And although he went off, I thought he was so good in that game. And Bruno will probably win the team's player of the year and with good reason. But I'd say Luke Shaw would be second. Um, he, he's looking more confident. Um, he's he's going forward. I, you know, I expect goals from him, but he's getting in goal scoring positions. I know he scored today. I know he finished it well. But he's been getting into goal-scoring positions more and more. And I love the way that he drives forward. He's, he's very powerful. He's obviously six foot one, of which I think we've mentioned before. Oh, I two times. Put that out and pe- people still don't believe it. He's definitely not six foot one. Um, and I think United, um, down the left, um, at the best, have, have been a real threat. And if you could do that against Manchester City... You saw that goal. It was fantastic to watch. It was a brilliant team goal. Henderson, yep, good game. To come in in, in a huge match and do that and to be so confident. We've all know that he's, he's a very confident lad. I think all the defence, you're right to talk about the defence um, doing well. Um, Martial was good as well. So, sure would be would be the one. But overall, I thought that the, the team did did really, really well. There's an interesting scenario here when we mentioned Dean Henderson. Henderson will most likely get an extended run in the team right now as David De Gea uh, is is with his wife who's just given birth to their very first child. So we know Henderson's going to be playing a few games going forward. Do you think there's a chance Henderson could be the number one for the rest of the season? What do you think, Andy? Yes, I do. If you're playing well, then you're going to be picked. And we all know there's been times where David has made one mistake too many. He's not the player that he was. 
he can still be very good. The more games which Dean Henderson plays and doesn't make errors which lead to Manchester United dropping points, the more strength will be put to the argument that he should be United's number one goalkeeper. I think one of the issues with David is financial. He earns so much money. He's the best paid goalkeeper in the world. He's the best paid Spanish footballer, full stop. And Spain has got some incredible footballers. So if you're going to take David out, it was put to me that it's a long way back if you take him out to build his confidence back up to a level. And that's from someone who knows him. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a challenge to do that. So it's a really difficult one for Ollie. I think he's just got to be make the right decision for the team. If Dean's playing playing well, and as Laurie said, he wasn't bombarded today with shots, but he, he's been flawless. He's keeping lots of clean sheets. And yeah, I do. And sometimes there are big sliding door moments in football clubs, and it could be one of them. And I sense David, you know, he's... What is he now? 30? 30 years old? I just think his wages are, are are the issue. Not a transfer fee, his wages. I honestly think if if a big Spanish club came in for him, then he'd be extremely tempted by that. But Spanish clubs ain't spending money. And United have got him on a huge contract. I think that's the issue. But at the moment, I think I think someone also said to me who knows the situation far better than I do. Dean needs and deserves a run of games. It's all right playing him in the Europa League or in, in domestic cups. Give him 12 games and see after game number eight whether he's throwing one in the back of his net or not. Don't just think the grass is always greener because he's a sparkly, young, confident goalkeeper. Well, he'll most certainly be playing in the Europa League against AC Milan in midweek and then again on the weekend. Laurie, I want to get your thoughts here. Is he the number one for the rest of the season? Is it his jersey to lose? I think after that, yeah. I think if he'd maybe fluffed his lines a little bit against Man City, then, you know, Ollie would have had a decision to make. But I think it's difficult to take somebody out like that who's played so well, who clearly, as we've written in The Athletic, is chomping at the bit to be the number one and will not, I don't think, accept a situation next season where he is back up to De Gea as he has been this season. So, you know, he's he, he quite a a pressurised decision ultimately and taking into account everything that Andy said about the De Gea you know context of his wages and, and the fact that he has been you know a legend for United um, you know for, for so many years before you know his slump listen I'm glad I'm not the one that's having to make that kind of decision but I think Henderson deserves a run after today Okay another thing coming out of this game was an unfortunate injury to Marcus Rashid who went off some way through the second half looking like he had a problem with his ankle. Did Ole Gunnar Solskjaer mention this in his press conference at all? Laurie, you're nodding your head here. Yeah, he did. Not not to say anything too uh, dramatic, but he did mention it. He said he'd not seen the doctor though. He rolled his ankle um, and he needs a scan on it. I don't think it's anything too serious. I think it might be a bit of bruising, um, but I think the wise choice at that particular moment was take him off. He's obviously put in a huge shift. And I think it was important 
you know, <laughs> injuries are sustained in football, but um, equally, uh, that was an injury that, sus- that was sustained at a very pivotal moment. I mean, 60-yard sprint back to stop a Man City counter that looked dangerous. Mares was in possession of the ball. I mean, the speed was ferocious. You know, he's, he's obviously late on in a game where he's already put in quite a few sprints. So to be doing it back towards his own goal, um, I thought was a sign of, of how much, how committed the players were to the cause. And I mean, particularly him in, <laughs> as, a, as a Manchester boy, when I asked him about at the time, you know, captaining the club for the first occasion in our interview, he mentioned the fact that actually he was really angry because United lost to City in the Carabao Cup last season. Um, and he didn't actually appreciate the sort of captaincy until maybe a couple of weeks after that. So that kind of shows the the particular level of uh, commitment that Marcus Rashford has in a Manchester derby. And I think that sprint spoke volumes. Uh, but yeah, I think he will. I mean, I suppose you look at the AC Milan match. Does, do they need to you know, definitely rushing back for that. It depends how, how you know, difficult the injury is, but um, I suppose, yeah, only the scan results will show it. I do remember early in January 2019 when Marcus Rashford did get a knock on his ankle playing against Liverpool. And in that game, I think he was given a painkiller injection there and then and he persisted on. So uh, we know how Marcus Rashford is like to play on through injury, such as his sort of run through brick walls attitude. Um, so fingers crossed. We'll see what happens next. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Moving forward, that win takes Manchester United back up to second place. They briefly fell behind Leicester City. They are now second place on 54 points. Uh, Leicester on third with 53. Uh, Chelsea in fourth with 47. So United look more likely than not to finish in the Champions League spaces. With a Europa League tie against AC Milan on Thursday, does this victory mean Oli can go full strength in the Europa League and then possibly have a small breather in the league on Sunday against West Ham. Andy, what do you think? No, not at all. I think that <laughs> I mean that, that that win today was it was unexpected, but it was really needed because you're gonna get caught up by the Peloton and United were dropping too many points. So it, it was a surprise, but it was absolutely needed. After 28 games, United have got 12 more points than at the same stage last season. So that's really encouraging. But I think we were all worried that some of the players were looking a bit too tired. And I think, the look at the games coming up. West Ham are a very good team. Very, very good team. With a point to prove, they want revenge for being knocked out of the FA Cup. There's lots of subplots going on there from Moyes to Lingard, etc. And I think what we'll see against Milan, uh, Diego Delot scored for Milan, by the way. My Milan supporting friend um, sent me a... Uh, footage of him scoring I, I mean I've got to assume it was this weekend because he's not just going to send me <laughs> him scoring a goal from like five months ago so I think he'll, he'll make subtle changes I think he does his, his three or four changes but you've seen some of the teams he's put out where the reaction has been I can't believe that team is so strong I'm thinking Carabao Cup games I remember fans complaining because Bruno started away at Everton um, Real Sociedad at home I think you've got to trust the man you know, he's the one who's seeing the players every day. He's the one who's getting all the advice. He knows the levels of fitness and he's got his reasons for playing them. And there's often a clamour 
put the kids in, throw the kids in. If he doesn't think a 17-year-old is ready to play 40 minutes and he's only ready to play 15 minutes, I think you've you've got to back him. But United have got to go this rest of the season on, on the free fronts. A trophy would be a massive boost. FA Cup or Europa League would be a huge boost. And that top four finish. Now, there'll be no trophy parade for a top four finish. But if United were to win a trophy, that's what it should be about. That's, that's where your glory, glory is. But anything outside the top top four, I think you've got to say is a failure. AC Milan are second in Serie A. They did indeed have a Diego Dallo goal in their 2-0 victory of Verona this weekend. So they're second. They're three points off into Milan, who are top. AC Milan are slouches and neither West Ham now even though they will be without Jesse Lingard on Sunday because he can't play against his parent club, I've been told. So how do you think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to play these next two games? He'll rotate a little bit. And as Andy said, there'll be, there'll be changes involved, but I don't think we'll see wholesale um, alterations, particularly with the fact that, you know, a few players are out at the moment. You look at De Gea, you look at Juan Mati, you look at Van der Beek, you look at Cavani, who's going to be fit. Um, so, yeah, I think it will still see a fairly similar team against AC Milan and then West Ham. And then, listen, if they, if they win both those games, maybe then you can think about just rotating it a little bit more. But I think to do anything... Uh, greater than that would be to sort of jeopardise the Europa League run, which I think is very important now. And yeah, a West Ham team that are pretty close to United. So, um, you know, win there would then just really make things a lot more comfortable. Thanks for that, Laurie. I also see you did stay up late on Thursday night to get Manchester United's uh, quarter two accounts. What did you find? To be honest, it was actually more um, positive, I suppose, than um, perhaps was to be expected given the pandemic match day revenue is down to 1.5 million for the quarter which when it was 30 odd million last season shows just the effect for United of having Old Trafford close to fans but commercial revenue was fairly steady took a little bit of a dip overall though the actual profit was up from last quarter because of the revenue from the Champions League the broadcast um, figures you know came in during this quarter so it was actually a kind of healthier picture and we got into a little bit of TikTok from Richard Arnold which is what I uh, did my piece on I know that might sound like anathema to a lot of people that United are even contemplating how TikTok could help transfers but if United are able to actually um, you know get a foothold on that platform and you know the value of commercial deals goes up because of it you know I can hear people uh, slightly going pale uh, as I'm saying this but that would ultimately give you know a bit more finances to the budget and, and being reinvested into the playing squad which is something that Richard Arnold was very uh, keen to emphasize at the end of his um, discussion with investors that it is a virtuous cycle in terms of um, you know money from commercial going into the playing side of things which obviously criticism uh, that you know can be leveled at the board you know in terms of the attitude towards um, these sponsorships but I had a bit of fun with TikTok you know I've had a look at what United have been posting since November since their launch and and you know they've got uh, 17 million likes and 2 million followers I think that's the right way around and a, a post of Pogba and Cavani walking out uh, against Arsenal with thunderclap in the background at Old Trafford uh, had been record views for any uh, Premier League club on TikTok so it just shows you know the power of Manchester United looking at new avenues of kind of getting a bit more cash in the bank and you know people might um, roll their eyes at it but I think when you've got Roy Keane joining Instagram uh, I think the horse has bolted on that one I don't have a problem with these commercial deals if it brings money into the club and means United can buy some of the, the best players in the world I have more of an issue if ticket prices uh, go up but United have been trailblazers commercially and globally as well 
And TikTok's huge. I know Laurie's on it, and you're not on it, Carl, and I'm not on it. But my daughter is 10 years old. She's on there all the time to the point that I have to pull her off. And she follows um, TikTokers who've got over 100 million followers. It is huge. These people are absolutely huge. So if United are engaging with a young target and potentially fans of the future, I don't see any bad that can, can come from that. And I know, as Laurie said, people can get a little bit sniffy when Richard Arnold goes to places like Web Summit in Lisbon and, and does his keynote speech and talks about interactions. Well, if United aren't doing it, someone else will, and they'll get the money. So you take your choices. All right, no social media, no money, and let's finish seventh. So I think United have been have been pretty smart. And you can see that the language is changing um, in some of the tweets. And sometimes it, it seems a bit alien um, when you see the language in some of the different platforms that United use, but they're just engaging with the relevant demographics. They shouldn't only just engage to, you know, men of a certain age living in Manchester. It's a global support. And if the club are smart enough to see that, and I know that they're very ambitious, not just in China, but in India as well. There's a reason United have played so many games pre-season in the United States. And you see on these tours, you see how engaged the players are with commercial activities. Really, it's a full-time job for them. I'm sure you'll all get the world's smallest violins out again <laughs> to see players you know, being pulled around Miami to do commercial stuff. But it, it adds to the bottom line. And you have giants like Liverpool who remain envious of United's commercial success. Manchester United became the most dominant football club in England in the 90s, not only because they had a genius manager in Alex Ferguson, but also because they did the commercial side well. They understood that you shouldn't keep going on tour to places like Ireland and Sweden, and they should also go to emerging markets. So if TikTok can possibly open up avenues to new markets and new younger Manchester United fans, then so be it. I'm sure The Athletic will be on TikTok in time for the European Championships. Andy, I've also had a look on the website on Sunday, and you've got a great little piece on Bruno Fernandes. Can you talk me through it? It's a piece about the fan culture. It's quite sad. It's, it's a year since fans were inside Old Trafford for that derby game when Scott McTominay got that goal, when fans stayed in the Stratford End for 15, 20 minutes after the match, and they were all singing. And what I did was I spoke to some of them fans, some of the people who start songs, who write songs and ask them what's life been like with no football. Because to get a song going, you, the hard bit is getting it going in real life. You can make suggestions online and all the fan culture sh shifted online, but it, it, is a, it is a pale imitation. So I sense a few things. People cannot wait to get back. The mental health of a lot of fans has suffered because they really miss going to the football, seeing the friends, that sense of community, that going to the game and just letting themselves be somebody else for three or four hours and, and shouting and yelling and, and singing. But some really good detail into how the songs come about. And some of the most famous songs, you know, Viva Ronaldo was originally written by Jeff Parrish for um, Ronaldinho, who was coming to Old Trafford. I spoke to Pete Boyle as well, who's probably the best known of the... The, the song chant starters and I spoke to the some of the lads from the Red Army group as well so it was it was a, a prod around the fan culture United's away fans have always been really good in terms of um, one selling all our allocations but being really loud and having lots of original songs and 
one of them said to me, I don't want United to be singing that generic, I just don't think you don't you understand song that you hear everywhere. It should be Manchester United leading the way um, with songs. And, you know, let Norwich copy United and sing all is at the wheel. And uh, I also put in the one song that I started, the Nicky Nicky Butt one, so Casey and the Sunshine Band's Baby Give It Up. That's my claim to fame in my life. On my gravestone, it will be the man who wrote the Nicky Butt chant. That was you? That was me, mate. Amazing. And Nicky knows it as well. He, he pays me a royalties check um, every second <laughs> Thursday. It's been really good for business. Right. That is a fantastic article, and I heartily recommend it to any listeners currently enjoying. I haven't been to Old Trafford with fans yet. I cannot wait until sometime, possibly at the end of the season, possibly at the next season, so I can experience that for myself. If only, uh, as well, I want to experience that Old Trafford traffic that everyone keeps talking about. Re- most recently, a cab riding guy went, you have no idea how bad traffic is on match day. I want to fe- feel all of it. But other than that, I think, I think that's it. On a Sunday, a man called Jesus gifted the Red Devils a penalty. And Manchester United beat Manchester City in the derby. That was fun. Uh, other than that, uh, it's a thank you from me. A thank you from Laurie. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening. A thank you from Andy. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Laurie. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And that's another episode of Talk of Devils, another Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. We'll see you sometime next week. Goodbye. The Athletic. <laughs>